<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. Truth, justice, and the American way. Great to have you with us on another beautiful day in America. And while it is a beautiful day, we all must realize that at some point, Americans must awaken to a number of awful truths about their government and those who seek to govern us. This is, I believe, that point of awakening. We've now learned that the Marxist leftists of the Democratic Party have been using the power of government to destroy their political opponents and their supporters, targeting even the President of the United States. But those same Marxist leftists who predominate the leadership of the Democratic Party conspired to not only block the election of a presidential candidate through an FBI investigation, but in full view of God and everybody plotted to overthrow Donald Trump's presidency after he was elected in 2016. They conspired, we now know, with the heads of the Obama intelligence agencies to actually frame Donald Trump, to cast him as being in collusion with Russia. As far-fetched and preposterous as the plan was, so was the identity of its originators, the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. And then, with the full complicity of those intelligence heads, the FBI and Justice Department succeeded in framing and removing Donald Trump's national security advisor within his first month as president, then creating a special counsel investigation of the president within four months of Donald Trump's inauguration. That investigation lasted for 23 months and ended with the Mueller report on April 18, 2019 which found no evidence to support charges against President Trump. The Marxist leftist Dems tried again later that year and used a phone call on July 25th with the Ukrainian president as a pretext to vote on party lines to impeach President Trump, largely because President Trump, they claimed, had threatened Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky threatening that he would withhold aid money unless the Ukrainians investigated Hunter Biden's questionable business dealings. The Senate voted to acquit President Trump on February 5th of 2020. Again, the effort to overthrow President Trump failed, but their strategy to distract both the president and his voters succeeded. They weren't done. Democrats then conspired in the midst of the China virus pandemic to extend state absentee voting periods to place drop boxes where and whenever they could, to raise and spend hundreds of millions of private money to drive voter turnout, all designed to give new advantages to only Democratic candidates. And the presidential vote was decided in the three states by a margin of 42,000 votes, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia. On January 6, a huge rally for President Trump in Washington, D.C. took place. Some of his frustrated supporters were so angry, they broke away from the rally and marched to the Capitol, as many as a thousand of them. 
Some entered the Capitol. Hundreds were arrested. A Capitol Hill police officer shot a protester in the building, killing 35-year-old Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt. The Democrats immediately blamed Donald Trump. They called the rally-goers insurrectionists and again tried to impeach President Trump, doing so with one week remaining in his presidency. Trump was acquitted by the Senate in a four-day-long trial three weeks and two days after he had left the White House as a private citizen. President Donald Trump was prescient in so many ways on so many issues and events as president. He was at a rally in Prescott, Arizona, just weeks before the 2020 election. When talking to the large crowd, he referred to the reporting by the New York Post on Hunter Biden's laptop and the evidence of corruption it contained. He called it the laptop from hell, and in retrospect, that seems to be its likely origin. Mr. Trump's efforts to get anyone from his own administration and Justice Department to his call with Ukrainian President Zelensky, in which he asked for an investigation of Hunter Biden. Had his attorney general listened, had the FBI for once in its recent history been objective and responsible, well, history would have been altered, and President Trump would still be president. Of that, I'm certain. We now know for more than a year, the FBI, the Justice Department, the Secret Service, CIA, and all of government refused to investigate Hunter Biden. And instead, our government and 50 intelligence veterans and five former heads of the CIA who maintained it was all Russian disinformation changed the outcome of the 2020 election along with the complicity of the national corporate media, big tech and social media oligarchs who together orchestrated the biggest cover-up in America's history. And in so doing, they outright stole the election from President Trump and his supporters. And that is the truth. And the farthest result from justice and not remotely the American way. Hunter Biden and his laptop changed history. And one man who tried every way he knew how tried to preserve the good and to defeat the corrupt. And his life was changed in unimaginable ways. Our guest today is John Paul McIsaac. It was his computer shop into which Hunter Biden walked back in April of 2019. His story is incredible. His brush with history has cost him dearly. He's a good man, a patriot, a great American. You'll want to hear every word of his story. John Paul McIsaac, welcome to The Great America Show. I want to ask right now your thoughts, your, your, your mood on life, uh, uh, how you deal with all of this publicity uh, and, and public attention. Well, actually, since yesterday morning, my life's been pretty good. Uh, I woke up to find out that I had a, uh, my book is on Amazon for pre-order. For, well, let's, for what seems like well let's let's start with a pre-order right now uh, <laughs> yeah what's the name of the book it's called american injustice and i know it kind of sounds egotistical but for me it represents the injustice that all americans had to endure when intelligence agencies federal agencies mainstream media social media all colluded to suppress the story to label me a russian asset and a hacker and and keep this hidden from the people during a, a very important time of the year. 
And congratulations. We wish you immense success. And I will guarantee you this. Uh, on the Great America Show, your book will be prominently featured uh, for pre-order, for orders, uh, and, and even when it's uh, a past uh, being a, bas a bestseller, we'll still be holding it up for archives, uh, whatever it takes. Uh, we're on your side. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, John, let, let's start at the beginning, if we may. Um, sure. The, the day that Hunter Biden dropped into your shop. Well, uh, it was the 12th of April, and uh, Hunter came in with three um, liquid damage MacBook Pros, and uh, he wanted to get the data off the computer. And he was he was looked like he had been having a pretty bad day. So I also noticed a Bo Biden Foundation sticker on one of the computers. So my instincts instantly shifted to the, he just wants to get his deceased brother's personal files and information off of these computers. So I tried to facilitate as much help as I could where he could do it himself. I gave him a keyboard that he could take home to get beyond one of the liquid damage machines. Unfortunately, the other one was a complete write-off. Then left the third, which he had to check in with me. And I even cut him a deal. I only charged him 85 bucks as opposed to the normal $200 data recovery fee. Because uh, I felt bad for him. Uh, I performed the data recovery. It was a touch-and-go process. The machine was liquid damaged. It could only stay right. powered on for a little bit of time. So I was able to grab one folder, drag it over, then it was shut down, and then dragged another folder. And so there was a very time-consuming process that I had to manually do as opposed to a clone or any other forensic-level uh, data recovery. Let and me ask you this, John. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. But yeah. you were talking about he, he looked down. Uh, he came into your shop with three waterlogged laptops, MacBook Pros, Apple MacBook Pros. Uh, had he been in your shop before? Did you know him? Did you recognize him? No, I'm, I never really paid much attention to the Bidens in general. Um, so I didn't really. It was, I don't think he's ever been in the shop before. I didn't recognize him. He wasn't in the system. I had to collect his personal information. That's when he actually informed me who he was. Right. Uh, I am uh, le technically legally blind. I'm an ocular cutaneous albino. So if you play Scrabble, that's you know, big word score. And, uh, if oh. you it just oh. limits my ability to, uh, see what, uh, pass the four or five feet clearly. So I didn't really know who he was until he told me who he was. But then once I transferred or started to transfer the data and I got to see some of the images and photos and videos that were on the laptop, I was pretty confident at that point that the, uh, the owner of the machine was the same person I was looking at on this laptop. And I interrupted you, and you were uh, uh, starting to clean the uh, the laptop up. Well, that's that that uh, stop and go process that I had to manually perform is how I was able to see what I saw because I had to manually verify did this data come over? Let me look. Yes, I did. So that's when I first got the idea that there was something on this laptop that, above all, was embarrassing, um, and. Again, I don't have a law degree, so I can't say it was criminal activity, but it each time looked suspect. So, are you are you talking about video of uh, drug usage, uh, pornography? Uh, I, I, we don't want certainly uh, details or anything vivid, but we would like to know just, you know, the audience would like to know uh, sort of what the images, uh, what were they as a category? I'll put it that way. Well, there, there's, I think we all know that there have been several images and videos circulating of drug use and possession, drug possession. Mm -hmm. So those 
obviously are criminal. That's criminal activity. Right. Uh, some of the other stuff, you know, I, I've never felt comfortable about talking about some of the stuff I've seen, nor do I feel like sharing it just because what had my concerns the most was the national security concerns, the, the pay for play that seemed like Hunter had been provided for quite a long time. And the simple fact that after reading some text messages later on, where I realized that the secret service was protecting the Biden family well past mm-hmm. their time. Right. And they were running cover for Hunter for everything from excessive credit card use with his dad's card to, to oh, drug overdoses, to pulling guns out of trash cans. So, you know, who's to say that once one of these secret service agents saw a piece of paper in Hunter's possession saying that I was given permission to recover the data, how, how long would I be around for? So I was, uh, I was waiting for secret service to come in and, and clean up their problem. Uh, so that's, that was my initial fear, uh, after it became my property and with all the, the topic of Hunter and Burisma and the news, of course, um, curiosity led me to look into that specifically. That's when I saw a huge amount of money exchanging hands, uh, a pay for play scheme that involved the state department, national security issues where the vice president's travel schedules were being sent in the open air to private Ukrainian citizens. And, and all of these things were a, a major concern, especially in an area that was uh, a hotbed to begin with and is a hotbed today. Without question. And and you have still a copy of all of this, correct? Yes. Uh, when Before my father went to the FBI, uh, this is October of 2019, uh, mm-hmm. during the summer I had spoken to my father about this, or at the end of the summer I spoke to my father and voiced my concerns and we decided it would be best if he took a copy of the drive to an FBI office in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That way, just in case there was some good old boy politics happening on the East Coast, I would have a little bit of a cushion. There would be some separation because my father has cared nothing more about just keeping me safe. So he, I made a copy of the drive and I mailed it out to him. And then he approached the FBI and the FBI slammed the door in his face. They didn't want to touch anything. They actually took the paperwork, the copy of the signed signature, but they didn't want to touch the drive. And then we didn't hear back from the FBI for about a month. And uh, then finally they did come and approach me. And on December 9th, I handed them over the laptop and all the paperwork and everything related to it. I didn't hear anything. Well, I heard a little bit back from them. They needed tech support to access the drive, which kind of threw up a red flag because I imagine this thing should have been sent as a put in an evidence box and at least been presented to the white house as a form of defense during the impeachment trial. So when, when I discovered that the FBI's agenda had nothing to do with protecting me and everything to do with protecting the Bidens, I, I went out and uh, went to Congress using my father and my uncle, both retired colonels in the air force to try to, you know, cause I'm trying to keep a low profile and maintain my place in my community and my business. So Eventually, I mailed a copy of the drive to Rudy Giuliani's office on August 28th. The copy that my father had, I then gave to my attorney for safekeeping during my when I was on the run and when I had to get out of town and close my business. So uh, that that copy technically is the oldest, purest, unaltered, unmolested copy that could possibly out there because it was the first copy ever made. And you're satisfied it's safe that you're safe. Yeah. Well, I'm well, careful. <laughs> I understand. 
I understand. Uh, I, I guess one of the questions that we would all have is the pressure you must have felt. I, I will put it this way. In similar circumstances, I would be afraid uh, for myself, for my family, uh, for everyone around me. How did you feel uh, at that time? I know you have great confidence in your father, uh, but the resources of federal agencies and others who might be involved in, as you described it, uh, illegal activity, uh, that that is deeply concerning. Agreed. Uh, up until probably, I'd say, the end of August, I was I was living my whole life in fear for at least a year and a half. And I finally realized that while I was in fear, nothing was actually getting done. I wasn't able to get people's attention. The FBI wasn't doing anything. Nobody was taking our story seriously because Russian disinformation had already manifested itself all, all over D.C. So I, I, I feel like, I, I think at the end of August, I decided to just hang up the towel on, on uh, being scared, and I, I gathered up as much courage as I could, and I stepped out from the shadows, and I personally reached out. So instead of sending other people to do spread the word for me. I felt like I, I had the best knowledge. I, I knew names, I knew places, I knew dates. I could get somebody's attention. And uh, that's when I reached out to uh, a lawyer for Rudy Giuliani, who's lawyer for the president. I had gone to the, through the Department of Justice and wasn't satisfied. I tried to go to Congress. I was running out of branches in the government to uh, bring this and alert the people to this. So that was, I felt my last chance was to uh, approach a lawyer of the president. And at that point, how long had you been in possession of the laptop from hell? Oh, I, I, well, the FBI had taken it in December 9th of 2019, but I still had man, maintained a copy right. and after that time. The FBI never asked if I made any copies, so I didn't feel like offering up that information. Correct. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they probably wish they asked that question. Well, uh, and I'm, and we're all <laughs> very glad that you did not uh, volunteer it. So we're talking about August. It's 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. An election is underway. It is uh, obviously a time of great uh, political activity, intense political activity in the country. And you can't get anyone in Congress. You can't get the Federal Bureau of Investigation uh, to follow through. I, 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 who in Congress did you talk to? You know, I, I don't, I've actually had the opportunity to talk to uh, several members of Congress that my, my father and my uncle reached out to. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want to fault anyone. So I don't want to start naming names. Um, okay. That's, I yeah. do, it, it's, I understand the situation. I also understand that for the three, three years of the Trump administration, it was Russia collusion and Russia, Russia, Russia. And it just got beaten into the, the fabric of, of D.C. That to the point where everything had to be looked at under a microscope. And I was running out of time. And we, we cast it in that. I'm sure if I had cared less about my personal safety, uh, I would have been more specific in my correspondence and reaching out to these people. I might have been able to do more. Um, I, it, it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, hindsight's 2020 in this. Give the visual pun, but yeah. um, I don't. I don't fault anybody. It's just it, it was just the times, you know. 
Yeah, you said you felt you were running out of time. What was the time mm-hmm. pressure for you at, at that point? Because now it's been well over a year. Well, I, I first felt the pressure to get it to the FBI because I knew there was impeachment hearings that were actively taking place that revolved around a phone call looking mm-hmm. into former corruption from the former administration. And I knew that I had seen that corruption. So getting the laptop to the FBI without them knowing that I was without giving the illusion or the appearance of uh, political motivation. I mean, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, having the nation have to endure its third impeachment is an, an embarrassment. It's a national embarrassment. And when the FBI failed to submit that as evidence during the impeachment trial in January, and by February, I was like, oh, great. Now I have the FBI that knows I have this. They know that I've been trying to peddle it around. Who are they going to tell? So the, the, the group of people had grown substantially that actually knew I had this and knew I was actively trying to get this to people's attention. And that worried me because now instead of just a couple of Secret Service guys threatening to keep me quiet, now I had federal agencies that were obviously operating against what I had envisioned their mission to be. So well, when uh, you I, say I felt st- the pressure. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. I felt I felt the, the pressure of the impending election. I did not want this to come out and just look like a, well, like an October surprise. Um, you know, I, I felt that the soonest I could get this into somebody's hands, then at least this information would be out there. At least people would know about it. My name would be somewhere, and then there would be some level of protection. And then if I something happened to me, people would know who and why. And uh, I felt that if I had I had to do something before the election, or I might just, yeah, who was I? It was some computer guy in Delaware. Well, you're, uh, you're some, you're, you're quite some fellow. Let me tell you that because you had to endure a great deal. Uh, you, you mentioned to, you mentioned the secret service. Uh, were you, uh, ever approached? Were you ever, did you ever perceive a threat? No, not from the secret service. I mean, so, only only from what I read in in Hunter's laptop did I have a major concern for that. Right. So we have two agencies right now, based on that laptop, uh, that clearly are compromised. I, I won't yet say entirely corrupt, but I that's my personal view. Uh, there's no question about it. The Secret Service had to be corrupt. Uh, they the FBI we all know now is corrupt. Uh, to the bone. Uh, and your caution, I have to tell you, was entirely, I mean, it was, I, I'm sure you know this, but you had to also be concerned that you were being a bit paranoid uh, when in point of fact, you were being absolutely rational and fearful of the correct uh, part of our government that gives you every reason to be fearful. Uh, your, thought on, uh, your thought on that is you are now approaching election day uh, you can't get anyone to pay attention. And you actually have, uh, I believe it was on October 29th, uh, days before the election, you ha- have all of these uh, 50, 51 veterans of the intelligence community saying it's all, it's all uh, Russian disinformation. What went through your mind? Well, first off, haven't they ever seen the head I wear? I mean, if, if, if this is what the uh, FSB is putting out, then we're in trouble because there's going to be a whole bunch of kilted 
double agents running around soon because yeah. it, it just I don't I just don't understand. They didn't do their homework. I my family's been a military family since before time, and my my grandfather, uh, both grandfathers flew in World War II. My grandfather continued his service through Korea, and my father flew in Vietnam. So for the entirety of the Cold War, there have been Mac Isaacs flying planes and killing communists. So to be labeled a Russian hacker or a Russian agent or a stooge of Putin is is almost comical. But when people don't know who I am and I'm not given a platform or the opportunity to defend myself, then it's quite plausible. And when you have 51 intelligence agencies, you have legacy and mainstream media, and then the truth is blocked on social, then that's the, that's the, the image that uh, was painted of me. Yeah. And we can thank Twitter. We can t- thank big tech uh, and we can thank, uh, you know, big government. Uh, they shut down the American people. Uh, and, and it's just uh, to me, disgusting. Uh, what they did and got away with and and what so many people want them to get away with now there are more people who want to just walk away from this and say well let's not worry about what twitter did they shut down the president of the united states they shut down the new york post when it was reporting accurately uh what had happened to that laptop and what its contents were uh, and Shut down not only the shut down the New York Post access to social media, which would have given the entire country uh, some knowledge of what was in that uh, that computer. What did you think when that tw- Twitter shuts down, uh, social media shuts down the New York Post, which is the only organization that's actually done anything about that laptop that you've been trying to get authorities to pay attention to. Well, I, I think October 14th, when the New York Post story broke and, and I was outed, uh, and by 9.30 in the morning, there was a complete iron curtain that descended across the media sphere over the subject. I realized for the first time how deep this rabbit hole went, because uh, that's, that's something that's a coordinated effort. You bet. And when there was testimony later, a couple of weeks later, uh, uh, Dorsey and uh, Zuckerberg and the nice fellow from Google were brought up before Congress to testify. And Zuckerberg brought up a very good point. He said that uh, late in the summer, the FBI had approached Facebook, Google, and Twitter to warn them about a possible mass document dump of Russian disinformation right before the election. And I just can only imagine. So if I mailed the drive to Bob Costello on August 28th, who was the FBI listening to? Where's that FISA court? Was it, was the FBI spying on Bob Costello and Rudy Giuliani's office? And that's how they found out that this, this new cache of data was going to be dumped or were they spying on me? I'd like, that's, that's one of the many questions I have for the FBI. Well, I'd like to go through some of your questions uh, to, to, for the FBI right now. Uh, Bob Costello, you're talking about the uh, criminal attorney uh, in, uh, in New York, correct? Yeah, uh, he was uh, Rudy Giuliani's uh, lawyer. He was my only right. point of contact with Giuliani's office. And so how do you feel about Giuliani, his response, uh, and Costello? You know, I am grateful 
for the fact that after spending almost a year trying to get people's attention with this, that, that Bob Costello responded to my, my plea for help. Um, I felt like I had done what I had to do. I had to, to, I had to talk to a lawyer. I had to get this to somebody that I knew could get this to the president of the United States or the executive branch. Um, I, there was, there was a communication line that was open. Bob said, if I needed any security, I could give him a call. When I, when the time came and I needed security, I gave Bob a call. He called a detective in Wilmington. Next thing I know, I have Wilmington police guarding my shop every time I'm there. Granted, it was only for about two, three weeks until I had to close up the shop and flee the state. Still, it's, you know, for what I needed to do for my personal safety and security, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for Bob Costello and ultimately Rudy Giuliani's office uh, for, for basically putting, eventually getting my name out there, even though it was by accident. I mean, if I would never have been able to go to the post by myself or I, and I never wanted to go to the media. It was not the proper course of action in my mind. There's systems and services in place for us to voice our concerns and to share our suspected criminality with these, these federal uh, administration. So did you ever uh, regret not going to the, to the, to the, uh, the news media? almost to no, begin with absolutely not because again this is this was something that i felt was criminal it needed to go to the fbi the only regret i have is i think i probably should have given it to rudy giuliani's office at the same time that i gave it to the fbi yeah i, I think that if you know that that's again hindsight's 2020 oh <laughs> we can all second guess our entire lives most of us at least uh and there's no there's no profit in it so you you were talking about your, your questions for the FBI, but let me before we get to that, I want to ask you, you have been turned down by the FBI. You know that the Secret Service is in some ways complicit with all of the activities of the, the Biden family enterprise, whatever that is. Uh, you haven't had cooperation uh, from the federal government. You've gone to your congressman. You have appealed everywhere you possibly could. And then you see going into the election that the, the, the media curtain of silence, the, the darkness descends around Twitter, around Facebook, uh, around every major corporate news outlet. They won't touch this story. And yet there's the New York Post, and they have now been shut down by Twitter. At that point, did you think the entire world had gone mad, had was consumed by evil? What were your what were your thoughts and your emotional reaction at that moment to see how how global uh, the the corruption was, how global the threats were? Well, I remember my buddy calling me up on that on October fourteenth, and he said, "Dude, you broke the internet." So I, <laughs> I figured that that, that had. I do it, and uh, again, I I still am amazed at the depth that people have gone to, that continue to go to, to pervert or cloud uh, the story and, and the contents of that drive. So it's it's now I look back on it, it's like oh this this seems normal, but at first it was like you can't write this in a spy novel. It it is it is a spy novel. 
uh, and it's and it's nonfiction. Uh, it is it's a riveting story. I I I just uh, I again I marvel at your strength to to have gotten through this. We were talking about the FBI. Yeah, I, I think everybody'd love to know the questions you've got of them since they ask you so few. Well, let's see. My father tried to hand him a copy of the drive in October of 2019. I tried to hand him a copy of the drive in November of 2019. They finally reluctantly came to my shop and then took all the equipment, but didn't do anything with it in December of 2019. Uh, then Rudy Giuliani took his copy of the drive and went down to uh, the Delaware State Police to hand it over when he what, saw criminality month, on it. What month was that? What month and year? I want to say that was December of 2020, November or December of 2020. Right. Drove down, and then the state police handed it to the, the Delaware's uh, district attorney, who then handed it over to the FBI. Supposedly, that's the the rumor I have around that. And then what? The FBI raided Giuliani the following April, and still didn't take Hunter's drive. So it's kind of like how many? I've run out of fingers on how many times the FBI has been given the opportunity to. Take a, take evidence and act upon it, and you know I got to start counting toes. Yeah, it, it's it, it, it's really an, an incredible story to think that at that particular time, contemporaneously, just to keep a couple of events in focus, that Eric Post breaks the story and, and the curtain of darkness descends on them, uh, on uh, the American people. Uh, the story is blocked from every avenue. Uh, the FBI uh, is uh, <laughs> complicit in the the Russian disinformation uh, narrative that has been spun up since uh, since really 2015 and the uh, 2016 uh, and the uh, Clinton campaign and DNC uh, uh, dossier that they created. And it permeates all of uh, all of the uh, major agencies for five for really five years. Uh, it's a remarkable tale and a plot against the president that is that longstanding, uh, and that he withstood. I, I truly have to say to you, I don't know another man on earth who could have stood up to what President Trump stood up to uh, in the course of uh, his presidency. Uh, he, he survives an attempt to shut down his campaign. Uh, the, the Bidens are running full force uh, uh, with everything they've got to join with the, the Democratic National Committee, the Democratic machine, the deep state, the permanent bureaucracy. If anyone doubts the complicity, the cooperation, the orchestration of the deep state and the Marxist Democratic Party. All they have to do is look at what happened to that uh, those laptops that Hunter Biden handed you. For the FBI to have been utterly silent and refuse to take a look at it, it is stunning. It, it shows absolute complicity, in my opinion, on the part uh, of the FBI. Uh, and the Justice Department, because remember, at the same time, Bill Barr, the attorney general of the United States, acknowledges he knew Biden was lying in that third debate when he talked about the laptop and denied it, uh, when uh, he used Russian disinformation as a shield to protect his son and the contents of that laptop. 
He knew exactly what he was doing. And so did Bill Barr, the attorney general of the United States, who refused, as he put it, to intervene in the 2020 presidential election. What do you think of all that? Well, it looked like there was plenty of intervention going on already. So I, I, it's nice that Barr has decided to come back out and admit that uh, there was wrongdoing during that time revolving around the laptop. Uh, like I said, with the Washington Post and the New York Times, it's a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. Well, yeah, this was a, this was a real story with real consequences. And one of those just happened to be the, the destruction and canceling of my life. And, and it was, when did you finally have to shut your shop? Well, I, I, the death threats were piling up and then customers weren't coming in anymore, except there were shady people were coming in without computers. So I figured it was time to get out of Dodge. So I, I uh, closed up the shop November 2nd and I, left my house, hit in a friend's house until November 5th, and then flew to Colorado where I hit out for the better part of a year. And you have plans to reopen a shop? Uh, I, I don't think that would be advisable. Um, I, I definitely don't want to give the opportunity for complete strangers to know how to get a hold of me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Advertise it. I'm fixing masks. I'm trying to, but uh, I have to vet the people before I let them into my home. So that's a little awkward. Yeah. Well, uh, it's also very understandable and very wise. Let's go to some other questions you might have of the FBI, uh, because we've watched FBI director after FBI director uh, show himself to be less than concerned about national security, the national interest, the public's right to know, uh, and indeed dismissive of Congress's responsibility of oversight over the Justice Department and and, uh, the FBI. Well, I I guess the biggest question I have for the FBI is, you know, why did I go through everything I went through to get you guys a laptop that wasn't submitted as evidence to an impeachment trial? That that for me is the, the most... And, and again, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. If you love Trump or you hated him, the the national embarrassment of the Congress elected by the people basically firing the president. It's just it's happened three times in our country now, and it didn't need to. It really didn't need to. So that's that's the biggest question I have: is why didn't you act on this evidence when it when this country needed it the most? So the other questions I have is, you know, why was it put under a money laundering subpoena? I mean, it doesn't, my concerns had nothing to do with money laundering. They had to do with national security concerns, my personal safety. Um, it, it just seems like it was handled in a, in a way that was inappropriate for evidence. Why was I being called up after they collected the laptop multiple times to provide them with tech support over the phone. Um, why, why did not, why did the laptop not go to a lab outside of DC where people that make a lot more money than me get to spend their time doing that kind of stuff all day? I, that's, that's a question I'd love answered. Why did they tell me that uh, if somebody comes looking for it, representing Hunter, that they need to, I need to give them a call and to stall whoever's looking for it, give them 24 hours and they'll return it. Why would they tell me that if this thing isn't in a position to be returned to the original owner? 
And and ultimately, why did they care more about protecting Hunter Biden and what was on that laptop than they cared about prote- protecting me from the repercussions and the fallout of what I knew and what I'd seen? I think you. Yeah, I, I think I'm afraid of the answers to all of them uh, because it says too much about how corrupt our government is. Uh, it says too much about the values that are the hallmark of uh, the bureaucrats that now make up our government. Uh, we know about the Marxist left uh, cabal that runs academia, colleges and universities that now is trying to take control, total control of our public education system. You talk about your your uncle and your, your father and serving their service to the nation. What they fought for is not what we have right now, is it? Well, um, I can tell you that my father has become so disenfranchised with with uh, Washington, D.C. And this is a man that for 31 years blindly wrote a check up and to and including his life for the defense of this country and its systems. And to have one goal and one goal only, and that was to make sure whatever I was involved in, I was protected and safe because he's a father and that's what fathers do for their kids. And yeah. and and he was let down. He was in, and it's, uh, it's definitely affected him and it breaks my heart because he deserves more out of the country that he gave so much for. Yeah. You know, it's, it is just, at times it's just impossible to comprehend the depth to which, uh, this government has descended. And let's be very clear, uh, in, in my opinion, I'll be very clear. Uh, the democratic party has immense responsibility for this. Uh, they lied. They cheated, uh, and in my judgment, they stole. Uh, and they stole so much that it will be, in my in my view, impossible for them to ever make it right. There is no way that an apology would suffice. There's no way of restitution. Uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know this, that the Democratic Party is, has been exposed to all, of the, all the country. Uh, to all Americans for what it is. Now, those who choose to see what's before them, uh, that's another choice that has to be made. But there's a reason that so many people say this country, over 70% said the country's headed in the wrong direction. My guess is the percentage is even higher. And much of it springs from the corruption that uh, was the the evidence of which was uh, handed to you back in April of 2019. Uh, By the way, the grand jury in Delaware ever interview you uh, nope. because he's been on never. Nope. And, and uh, I don't know why I, I had nothing I, to do with his business dealings. I mean, outside of Hunter, not paying an $85 bill. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> I don't think that's uh, would merit the grand jury. Let me, let me ask you also about Jack Maxey. Did he ever talk to you or to approach you? Uh, not well. He, he actually did approach me, approached me on March 17th of this year. He wanted to know if I wanted to fly out to Switzerland and bring a copy of uh, uh, my copy of the Hunter Biden hard drive. <laughs> and I, it kind of struck me as odd because I know, because he's been reporting on it for a previous year and a half, that he right. had, a, had obtained his own copy. The, the problem I had was, He's talking about wanting to do a data recovery from my drive, but he's also already talked about recovering 450 gigs of data from another drive. 
so um, I, I think he's, I think he has his hands on another laptop because uh, the laptop that I was in possession of that I did the recovery from uh, only had a 250 gig drive. And he's claiming he recovered an additional 130 gigs of deleted compressed data. Oh. And I, we already have verified 220 gigs. So when you do the math, it's 350 gigs. It's hundred gigs more than can physically fit on the laptop that was in my possession. So I'm not really exactly sure on what's going on. Um, I've, I've uh, reached out to him to try to get some clarification just so that the waters don't get muddier than they already are. I uh, have yet to get confirmation on any of the questions I've asked. Uh, I am concerned because there has been attempts in the past to um, make it look like there's data that has come from the laptop that actually hasn't. And it all seems to be an effort to discredit the laptop on a whole. So I never thought I'd imagine saying this, but I, I have made it my mission now to protect the integrity of the Hunter Biden hard drive, even though it's garbage and it's disgusting. It's, it's important that the integrity is maintained because it was acquired lawfully. Hunter hired me to transfer his data. It wasn't hacked. I didn't steal his laptop. He abandoned it at my shop. So the evidence on that computer was lawfully acquired. If there's something going on where there's this mysterious 450 gigs of new data and it wasn't lawfully acquired, but it's being sold as coming off of the drive that was once in my possession, that could mean some very horrible things further down the road. Because if it's hacked material, then it can't be admitted as evidence. Right. And and what I understand you to be saying is that you believe that Jack Baxi uh, has in his possession a separate laptop from the one that you uh, recovered. And that's the only logical explanation, because yeah. the uh, the laws of physics would not allow that much data to come off of a drive. And, and the, really, all it would take is if you look at the subpoena. Uh, that the FBI issued me in December 9th, 2019, the serial number for that machine is clearly visible. And you can go to apple.com serial number, look up whatever, type that number in, and it'll tell you that it only has a 250 gig drive. Yeah. So now that's fascinating. Just, yeah. So that's why I, if it's another laptop, then he needs to come clean with that because how he acquired that laptop could change the narrative. But if he's claiming it's my laptop and then it's later proven that that data was actually hacked from an iCloud account or was hacked from a stolen computer, then that could taint the whole lot. For, for whatever reason, Maxi seems to have retired from uh, uh, at least the front pages for a while here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I haven't talked to him. Uh, but going to the issue of the the laptop that might be in his possession, and again, underlined might be, uh, there was one stolen, uh, we know, because uh, Hunter Biden said it was stolen by a Russian drug dealer, mm -hmm. and one confiscated by his friend, psychiatrist Keith Ablo. I, I mean, there are quite a few uh, in uh, <laughs> seemingly out there right now. Uh, for two that were in water damaged and uh, carrying all sorts of uh, important and uh, you know uh, information that 
should be, I would think, uh, held very closely. Well, again, I, I imagine that there would be a security uh, secret service detail that was specifically in charge of making sure all the electronic devices for the potential first family is going to be wrangled in. And especially if you have a member of that family that might have a track record of behavior that you might want to pay closer attention to their electronic devices, you would think that there would be some level of uh, security, but it's, he walked in and he dropped it off. It was a 2018, technically it's a 2017 MacBook Pro. It was purchased and he set it up in October of 2018. Uh, The data on it looked like it had been migrated as far back as 2010, I believe, 10 or 12. So this this was probably his fourth or fifth laptop in line of progression. And from him coming in with three liquid damage Macs at the same time, just tells me that he's not very careful with his technology. So I imagine there's there could be quite a bit of his electronic devices scattered around the globe at this point. That is frightening indeed, because that means if it were in the hands of the Russians, it's in the hands of the Chinese. If it's in their hands, it's likely in the hands of the Iranians. And so it goes. Hence my, hence my national security concerns. Yep. Uh, he, he, he had direct communication with the State Department. The State Department was his genie lamp. Whenever the oligarchs in Ukraine needed him to do something, get them visas, uh, put pressure on uh, the Ukrainian government to back off, it was the State Department that was the line of communication, at least until Blue Star Strategies took over. So, you know, the, the, the stuff that's on that laptop envelops a broader range than just the FBI and, and now there's, there could possibly be other links to other agencies on there. And, and I hope that the people that are doing the deep dive on this laptop are keeping the data authentic and not trying to dilute it or pervert it. Well, I think you and I both know that. I, 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 just a wild stab at something here. Did you ever see uh, any mention of biolabs in Ukraine? Research laboratories? Uh, no. No, I, I wanted to focus mainly on what what the Ukrainians were buying. And uh, the, I believe in, in doing the research after it came out, I took a look. It looked like it was more of the U.S. was trying to get into the Ukraine for, for biomedicine as opposed to the Ukraines doing something with bio. So, I, it's again, it, it's, it wasn't part of my initial focus. Right. And uh, what, what had my attention, I was more concerned about the, the blatant pay-for-play. Yeah, and uh, there's enough in there for all sorts of uh, avenues uh, of concern and, and, and questioning as, you, as you've laid out. But you did see some sign that, uh, that the United States was interested in getting into Ukraine with bio-research. Uh, Hunter, was, uh, it was definitely talked about. It's... Uh, it's a fascinating story, John. I just absolutely fascinating. Uh, I, I think your book is a bestseller uh, as of right now. Uh, and we just want everybody to remember uh, to uh, stand by for pre-order because it's, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a blockbuster. I, I hope so. I, I, and, and we sincerely wish that for you. Let's, let's kind of conclude here if we may. Uh, with your thoughts about, are there questions that I should have asked that I didn't? I, you know, that's always a, 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 an interviewer's worst fear. But uh, any questions that you would prefer that I uh, 
had asked that I didn't. Well, I'm, I'm still getting used to this interview game. It's uh, this is this is <laughs> definitely a, li- a life I've never wanted, never sought after, and and still part of me wants nothing to do with. Uh, but I also know that if I want to continue to fight to get the truth out and to keep the truth honorable, uh, I'm, this is this is what I have to do. Well, it, it is. I, I think you're right to do it, and I appreciate you uh, having the confidence in, in us to come here and talk with us, and talk with this audience. You, you're a, you're a great American. Uh, if well, there you. is absolutely anything we can do for you, uh, just give me a call. We uh, we want to be there for you, uh, and we will be. Uh, I, last question I want to ask mm-hmm. is: Do you think that Hunter? possibly was working for one of these government agencies, uh, our government or anyone else's? Uh, no, I, I think, I think the agencies that were involved knew exactly what Hunter's position was as a bag man and, and they allowed it to happen. I, I don't think, um, I don't think Hunter was working directly for any, definitely any intelligence agency. If anything, he was probably, making nightmares for the intelligence community. Um, I, I just think he, uh, you know, his, his dad decided one day that son, you're going to make, make the money for the family. And, uh, that, that was his job. And, and he's, I'm amazed that he pulled it off in the condition that he was in most of the time. Well, John, thanks so much for being with us. As I said, it's a, a remarkable story. Uh, John Paul McIsaac, uh, you're you're a great American, and, uh, yeah, and, I, and I have to say I deeply admire your strength, uh, your integrity, uh, and your perseverance. Uh, uh, God bless you. And we have a convention here uh, on this show. We always give our guests the last word, uh, and here is your moment. Well, uh, I want to just thank everybody that's given me the support this far. Uh, the, the irony is that no matter what they took away from me, uh, the strength of the support has given me the strength to continue to fight. And I, I want to thank everybody for that support because I probably wouldn't be here without it. I've always considered gratitude a, a great, great and foremost virtue. Uh, thank you for that expression. And uh, I know everyone appreciates it and appreciates hearing uh, your side of the story. And uh, all of us here at the, the Great America Show are deeply grateful. Thanks so much, John. God bless you, John Paul McIsaac. John is a great American, principled and brave, as you've just heard. He did his level best to do what any citizen would be expected to do, to see something, then say something. But at that moment, too few Americans believed the level of our government's corruption. John and honest government could have preserved the arc of history and the American way. But corruption among the powerful in this country is at unprecedented and pervasive levels. Evil won out over the good and God-fearing during that period. But that was only then, and only that fight. And now we fight again, and still we fight for truth, justice, and the American way. Thanks for being with us. Tomorrow, Miranda Devine. She knows a thing or two about Hunter Biden and that laptop. She's New York Post columnist, author of the book, Laptop from Hell. And you'll definitely want to join us for that conversation with Miranda Devine. Please join us. 
we want to invite you to sign up for our Great America Show Advisory and Newsletter. Simply go to LouDobbs.com, that's LouDobbs.com, and click on the email newsletter button. It's as simple as that. And we'll send you our advisories and alerts, as well as our weekly newsletter. I don't want to overstate anything, but I'm pretty sure you will absolutely sense at least a small positive change in your world outlook. We invite you to join us and stay in touch. Thank you. That's LouDobbs.com. Thanks. God bless you. And God bless America. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 